That Printer of Udell's by Harold Bell Wright. Read by Amy Zuck on Anchor from Grandma's Bookshelf. Chapter 25. Forgiving, but unforgiven. John Barton and his wife Anna, with whom Amy was to make her home for a while, could fully sympathize with the girl in her sad position, though one would never dream that the quiet reserved John knew more of life than of his pigs and cattle, or that his jolly-faced motherly companion had ever been beyond the quiet fields that surrounded her simple dwelling. Years before, they had been rescued from the world in which Amy had so nearly perished, by the same kind hand that had rescued her, the Salvation Army. And now, well on in middle life, happy and prosperous, they showed scarce a trace of the trouble that had driven them to labor on a farm. As hired help, they had gained their experience, and by ceaseless industry and careful economy, had at last come to own the place where they now lived. With no child of her own, Mrs. Barton took a mother's place in Amy's life from the first, and was very patient with the girl, who had never been taught to do the simplest household task. Amy returned the loving kindness full measure, and was determined to be a help to those who so much helped her advanced rapidly in the knowledge of her homely duties. Dressed in the plain working garb of a farm girl, with arms bare and face flushed by the heat of the kitchen, one would scarcely have recognized in her the beautiful young woman who moved with Boyd City's social leaders, or the brilliant novice who stood hesitating at the entrance to a life of sin in Madame's wine rooms. And certainly one would never have classed the bright-eyed, plump-cheeked, and well-rounded figure with the frightened, starving, haggard thing that moved about the streets of Cleveland a few short months before. But greatest was the change in Amy's outward appearance. The change within was even greater. She was no longer the thoughtless, proud, pleasure-loving Belle that her parents had trained, nor was she the hard, reckless, hopeless creature that the world had made. But she was a woman now, with a true woman's interest and purpose in life, The shallow brilliance of the social girl had given place to the thoughtful eagerness, earnestness, and the dreary sadness of the outcast had changed to a bright hopefulness. One warm day in June, Mrs. Barton laid the last neatly ironed garment on a big pile of clothes nearby, and noisily pushing her irons to the back of the stove, cried, "'Thank goodness that's the last of that for this week!' And... "'Thank goodness that's the last of that!' exclaimed Amy, mimicking the voice of her friend as she threw out the dishwater and hung the empty pan in its place. Anne wiped the perspiration from her streaming face. "'Come on, let's get out of this inferno for a while and do our patching in the shade. I shall melt if I stay here a minute longer.' And the two were soon seated in their low chairs on the cool porch with a big basket of mending between them. "'Hello, there's a man back from town already!' suddenly exclaimed Anne a few minutes later, as her husband drove into the barnyard. Then, with a mischievous twinkle in her blue eyes, she called, "'Hurry up, John! Amy wants her letter!' John smiled in his quiet way as he came up to the porch and handed the girl an envelope with the Boyd City postmark. Then the old people both laughed at the other's pretty confusion, when Anna, rising, said in her teasing voice, "'Come on, hubby, I'll fix your dinner. We've kept it warm. Can't you see the selfish little thing wants to be alone with her treasure? But when Mrs. Barton returned to her mending after a long talk with her husband, her jolly face wore an expression of seriousness that was unusual, and she failed to notice that Amy's hands were idle, and her work was lying untouched in her lap as she sat looking wistfully far away across the sunlit meadows and pastures. 
Both took up their tasks in silence and applied their needles with energy, while their thoughts were far away. But one thought of a great city in the faraway east, the other in a bustling mining town in the nearer west. At last Anna spoke with a little sigh. Amy, dear, I suppose you'll be leaving us one of these days before long. The girl answered with a loving smile. Are you so tired of me that you're going to send me out into the world again? No, no, dear. You have a home with John and me as long as you live. Surely you know that, don't you, Amy, dear? There was a wistful note in the kind voice and the dropping of the stocking she was darning. Anna leaned forward and placed her hand on the warm arm of Amy's chair. A rush of tears was her answer as the girl caught the toil-stained hand and carried it passionately to her lips. Of course I know. Mother, forgive me. I was only fun in a little Jimmy Clark says. But I'm not fun in, replied the other. I'm awfully in, in earnest. There seemed to be hidden meanings in the words, and Amy looked at her anxiously. I do not understand why you think I should leave you, she said earnestly. Because, because I, uh, th this life must be so degrading to you. You could live so differently at home. You must feel this keenly. Amy looked at her steadily. That is not your reason, mother, she said gently. You know that a woman degrades herself when she does nothing useful, and that I count my pleasant place and work far above my old life at home. Why just think? with a quiet smile. John said last night he couldn't tell my biscuits from yours. And wasn't the dinner all right today? And isn't that a beautiful patch? She held up her work for inspection. The other shook her head while she smiled in answer. I know, dear girl, you do beautifully. But that's not it. There is your father and mother and brother. You know you can't stay away from them always. Amy's face grew troubled while her hand nervously sought the letter hidden in her bosom. You don't understand, Mother, she said slowly. My people do not want me to come home. My father said I should not until... Uh, until she hesitated. But your father has surely forgotten his anger by this time, and when he sees you, he will be glad to forgive and take you back. The brown eyes looked at her in startled surprise. When he sees me. But the other continued hurriedly. And there are the letters, you know. Amy's face grew rosy. Why the letters? She murmured in a low voice. Because he loves you, dear, don't you see? He's never told me so. Not in word, perhaps. Amy was silent. He will come for you one of these days, and then you will go with him. The girl sadly shook her head and, turning her face, looked away across the fields again, where silent, patient John sturdily followed his team. The shadow of the big sycamore was stretched across the barn lot almost to the gate, where the cows stood watching for the boy to come and let them in. A troop of droning bees were paying their last visit for the day to the peach tree that flung its wealth of passionate blossoms almost within the reach of the porch, and over the blue, distant woods the last of the feathery banks of mist hung lazily, as though tangled in the budding branches, reluctant to say good night. 
Suddenly leaving her chair, Amy threw herself on the floor and buried her face in the old woman's lap, bursting into tears. Anna's own eyes were wet as she softly smoothed the brown hair of the girl she had taken to her mother's heart. You love him, dear, don't you? And Amy answered between her sobs, Because I love him so, I must never see see him again. He, he He's so strong and good and true. He must not care for one who would only bring reproach upon his name. I know, dear girl, and that is why you must go home. Take your own place in the world again, and then the way is clear. Amy lifted her head. Oh, if I could only... But you don't know. My going home would only widen the distance between us. My father... She paused again. Her quivering lips could not form the words. Amy, I'm sure you are mistaken. You must be. When you meet your father, it will all come right. I know. Again, there seemed to be hidden meaning in her words. When I meet my father, Amy repeated slowly. Anna grew confused. Yes, I, we. You know John has been trying to sell for a long time. We want to go back to Cleveland, and today he learned that a buyer was coming from Boyd City to... Amy's face grew white as she rose, trembling to her feet. My father, she gasped, coming here. Anna took the frightened girl in her arms. There, there, dear, don't be afraid. All will be for the best, I'm sure. John and I will stand by you, and you shall go with us if you wish. But I'm sure your father will be glad to take you home with him. And you ought to go. You know you ought. Not only for your family's sake alone, but for his, you know. And so they talked as the shadows grew. Until in the twilight, John came from the field with his tired team when they went into the house to prepare the evening meal. Adam Goodrich had no means forgiven his beautiful daughter for the blow dealt his pride, though one would not easily detect in his manner that there was anything but supreme self-satisfaction in the life of this worthy member of the Jerusalem church. Mrs. Goodrich's health was broken, but she still remained the same society-loving, fashion-worshipping woman who by her influence and teaching had ruined her child. It never occurred to the mother that Amy's conduct was the legitimate outcome of her training or associates. But she looked at always a weakness in the girl, and Frank, true son of his father, never mentioned his sister but with a curl of his lip, and lived his life as though she had never existed. The family still attended church once each week, still contributed the same amount to the cause, and still found fault with Cameron for his low tastes and newfangled methods. While they laughed at the new association as a dream of fools, and misguided enthusiasts. Adam had long wanted to add a good farm to his possessions, and after some correspondence with the agent who had advertised the Barton property, he boarded the train one bright day to pay a visit of inspection to his contemplated purchase. Reaching the little city of Zanesville in the evening, he spent the night at a hotel. In the morning, he called upon the agent, and the two were soon whirling along the road behind a pair of wiry little ponies. The drive was eight or ten miles, passed very pleasantly between the real estate man, his per prospective customer, and such conversation as gentlemen whose lives are spent in the whirl of money world indulge in between moments of activity. 
At last they neared the farm, and bringing the ponies to a walk, the agent began pointing out the most desirable features of the property. The big barn, the fine timberland in the distance, the rich soil of the farm nearby, the magnificent crop of corn, the stream of water where cattle stood knee-deep, lazily fighting the flies, and the fine young orchard just across the road from the house. Yes, the building is old, as they drove up in front of the big gate, but it is good yet, and with just a little expense could be converted into a model of modern convenience and beauty. As they drove into the yard and got out to hitch the ponies, Mrs. Barton came to the door. Just come right in, Mr. Richards. John is over in the north field. I'll go for him. Oh, no, Mrs. Barton, I'll go. This is Mr. Goodrich, who wishes to look at the farm. Mr. Goodrich, just wait here in the shade, and I'll go after Mr. Barton. I believe, said Adam, if you don't mind, I'll walk through the orchard until you return. Certainly, certainly, said both the agent and the farmer's wife, and the woman added nervously, Just make yourself at home, Mr. Goodrich. You'll find the girl out there somewhere. Dinner will be ready in about an hour. Leisurely crossing the road, Adam paused at the orchard gate to watch some fine young shots that were running around with their mother nearby. From the pigs, his gaze wandered about to the farm buildings, the fields, the garden. Turning at last to enter the orchard, he saw a young woman clad in the homely everyday dress of a country girl, her face hidden beneath a large sunbonnet of blue gingham. She was gathering apple blossoms. Something in her manner, her figure, struck him as being familiar, and with his hand on the gate, he paused again. As he stood watching her and unconscious of her presence, she sprang lightly from the ground in effort to reach a tempting spray of blossoms, and at her violent movement, the sunbonnet dropped from her head, while a wealth of brown hair fell in a rippling mass to her waist. Then as she half turned, he saw her face distinctly, and with a start of surprise and astonishment, he knew her as his daughter. Under the first impulse of a father's love at seeing his child again, Adam stepped forward, but with the gate half open, he checked himself and then drew back, while the old haughty pride, that dominant key in his character, hardened his heart again. And when he at last pushed open the gate once more, his love was fairly hidden. When Amy first caught sight of her father's advancing slowly towards her beneath the blossom-laden trees, she forgot everything and started quickly towards him. Her face lightened with eager welcome, ready to throw herself in his arms, and there pour out her whole tearful story and beg his love and forgiveness. But when she saw his face, she dared not and stood with downcast eyes, trembling and afraid. So this is where you hide yourself, while your family faces your shame at home, began Adam coldly. Tell me who brought you here. Who pays these people to keep you? The girl lifted her head proudly. No one pays them, sir. I'm supporting myself. The man looked at her in amazement. Do you mean that your position here is that of a common servant? There are worse positions, she replied sadly. The people here are very kind to me. But think of your family. You are a disgrace to us all. What can I tell them when I go home and say I've seen you? Tell them that I am well and as, ha as happy as I ever expect to be. She pressed her hand to her bosom where a letter was hidden. 
But what will people say when they know that my daughter is working on a farm for a living? They need not know unless you tell them. Then the man lost all control of himself. That this girl, who had always yielded to his every wish, without so much as daring to have a thought of her own, should so calmly but firmly face him in this manner and raged him beyond measure. He could not understand. He knew nothing of her life since that night he had refused to listen to her explanation, and in his anger taunted her with being the plaything of Dick Faulkner. And then, because her face flushed, thought he had hit on the truth, and grew more abusive in his language. But Amy only answered, Sir, you are mistaken now, as you were when you drove me from home. Mr. Faulkner had nothing to do with my leaving Boyd City. You are my daughter still, stormed Adam, and I will force you to leave this low position and come home with us. You cannot deceive me with your clever lie about supporting yourself. What do you know about a servant's work? That cursed tramp printer's at the bottom of all this, and I'll make him suffer for it as I live. I'll force you to come home. Amy's face grew pale, but she replied quietly, Oh no, Father, you will not do that, because that would make public my position, you know. I've no fear of your proclaiming from the housetops that your daughter's a hired girl on a farm. But Father, she said in softer voice as Adam stood speechless with rage, Father, forgive me for this, for I know that I am right. Let me stay here and prove that I am not useless to this world, and that then perhaps I will go to you. In the meantime, keep my secret, and no one shall know that your claim on society has teen lessened because your daughter is working and learning to do a woman's work. With a shade of bitter sarcasm crept into her voice, but Adam did not notice, for he saw the agent and the farmer coming. Very well, he said hurriedly. You have chosen your path, and you must walk it. But you cannot expect me to acknowledge a servant as my daughter. And turning his back, he went to meet the men, while Amy slipped off to the house with her blossoms. Mrs. Barden needed no word to tell her the result of the interview from which she had expected so much. And with a kiss and a loving word, permitted the girl to go upstairs, where she remained until Mr. Goodrich had left the place. After completing the purchase of the farm, Adam wrote his daughter from the office of the agent in Zanzaville. The place where you're living now belongs to me, and the Bartons must give possession at once. If you will promise never to speak to that man Faulkner again, you may come home and be received into your old place. But on no other terms will I acknowledge you as my daughter. Refuse, and you are thrown on the charity of the world, for you cannot remain where you are. Amy carried the letter to her friends, together with her reply, and they, by every argument of love, tried to induce her to go with them back to Cleveland. But she refused in tears. And when she would not be persuaded, they were compelled to leave her. With many expressions of love, they said goodbye and departed for their own home in the eastern city. But before going, they arranged with the kind neighbor to give her a place in their already crowded home until she could find means of support. Upon Dick's return from his Cleveland trip, he had thrown himself into his work with feverish energy, while in his heart the struggle between love and prejudice continued. But as the weeks went by and Amy's letters had come, telling of her life on the farm and how she was learning to be of use in the world, and as he had read between the lines of her new ideas, changed views of life, his love had become stronger and had almost won the fight. Then... 
the letter came, bidding him goodbye and telling him that she was going away again and that for her sake he must not try to find her. She was deeply grateful for all that he had done, but it was best that he forget that he had ever known her. Dick was hurt and dismayed. It seemed to him that she had given up, and the devil, doubt ever ready to place, a wrong construction upon the words and deeds of mortals, sent him into the black depths of despair again. "'I never saw such a man,' declared George Udell, to Clara Wilson one evening as they caught a glimpse of him bending over the desk in Mr. Wick's office. "'He works like a fiend.' "'Like an angel, you'd better say,' replied Clara. "'Didn't I tell you that he was no common tramp?' "'Yes, dear, of course. "'And you never made a mistake in your life. "'That is, never but once.' "'When was that?' asked Clara, curiously. "'When you said no to me night before last. "'Won't you reconsider it, and—' "'What do you suppose Amy Goodrich is now?' "'interrupted the young lady. "'Do you know? "'I had fancied at times that Mr. Faulkner learned something "'on his trip last fall when that he has not told us. "'George opened his eyes. "'What makes you think that?' "'Oh, because somehow he seems so different since he returned.' "'But George shook his head. "'I thought so too for a while,' he replied, "'but I talked with him just the other day, "'and I'm afraid he's given up all hope. "'He works to hide the hurt. "'But I'll tell you one thing, girlie. "'If anything could make a Christian of me now, "'it'd be Dick's life. "'There's something more hu- more than human "'in the way he stands up against this thing.' "'Then Dick received another letter "'from a post office in Texas. "'Dear Dickie, I take my pen in hand to let you know that I'm well and hope you are the same. Jim Whitley is dead. He done tried to knife me and I fixed him. He wanted to hire me to kill you for some papers and we was in your cabin across the river from the still. He said to let you know he lied to you and that Amy is pure. I don't know what he means but thought you ought or know. I skipped Dad Burn this, your daddy's partner, Jake Thompson. The association building was finished at last, and the pastor of the Jerusalem church sat in his little den, looking over the morning mail. There were the usual numbers of magazines, papers, and sample copies of religious periodicals, with catalogs and circulars from publishing houses, an appeal to help a poor church in Nebraska whose place of worship had been struck by lightning, a letter from a sister in Missouri asking for advice about a divorce case, one from a tinware man in Arkansas who inquired about the town in view of locating, and one that bore the mark of the association, which informed him, or the signature of the secretary, that he had been unanimously called to take charge of the new work. Cameron carried the letter in triumph to the kitchen. Well, said the little woman, didn't I tell you that one preacher would have a hand in whatever work was started here? Of course you'll accept. I don't know, Cameron answered. We must think about it. A day later, he called for the consultation with Elder Wicks, and Uncle Bobby said, "'To be sure, it's mighty hard for me to advise you in this thing like this, "'for as a member of the church, I am bound to say stay, "'and as a member of the association, I say accept. "'Hi, Jing, I don't know what to do.' "'And for a few moments, the old gentleman thoughtfully stroked his face. "'Then suddenly grasping the arms of the chair fiercely, he shouted, "'As a Christian, I say accept, and I reckon that settles it.' "'And so Cameron became the manager of the new work.' and his first recommendation to the directors was that they send their secretary away for a vacation. And indeed, Dick, poor fellow, needed it, though at first he flatly refused to go. 
but Dr. Jordan came down on him with a cheerful information that he would die if he didn't, and Uncle Bobby finished batters by declaring that he had no more right to kill himself by overwork than he had to take rough on eats or blow his head off with a gun. And besides, added the old gentleman, you ain't paid me that hundred dollars yet. To be sure, the note ain't due for some time, but a feller's got to look out after his own interests, ain't he? The first address delivered by Cameron in the auditorium of the association building was from the text, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The audience room was crowded, and the young minister had never appeared to better advantage, or declared the teachings of his master with greater freedom, earnestness, and vigor. And to the astonishment of the people, who should come forward at the close of the service to declare his belief in and acceptance of Christ as the Son of God, but the so-called infidel printer, George Udell.